So, um, Heather. Yeah. I don't know about you, <laughs> but here I am bright and early this friggin' morning, and I am still riding off of the high of being told last night that we have good energy. I know. <laughs> right? <laughs> when, when, when have we, have you and I ever hung out with a new person and that person was like, you guys are so great. Never. That, <laughs> like, like we've been, we've been, it's usually, why are you two friends? <laughs> <laughs> or it's like you guys are really aggressive i'm gonna go <laughs> I know. well i mean that's that's actually about you not me uh no you get it too bitch don't even play <laughs> i am not aggressive for the record <laughs> <laughs> who, who are you trying to lie to right now? i know right <laughs> <laughs> no but we had that we, we recorded for unleashed last night with the uh the lovely and brilliant uh christina and uh, you guys, you'll you'd see the next uh, Unleashed episode when it comes out. We're talking all about Book of Boba Fett. This is a Star Wars thing. I know this is a Marvel podcast. Forgive us. Uh, but it was really cool. Yeah. It was a really it was our first time ever having a guest on any of our shit, and it was amazing. I feel like such a successful interactive adult. Like I cosplayed as an extrovert, and it worked. I know. I, I know. We're celebrating the fact we talked to somebody. Um, <laughs> but you have to understand, you know, we're, we're like super introverted. So that's yeah. a big win for us. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And that took a lot of psyching up, like like weeks of like, come on, we can do this. We're going to we're going to pick a, a time and a, and a person. It's going to be great. And it's going to be. <laughs> I know. I was we're... I was listening to Hulk Hogan's rain entrance music. I was like, nice. you know, nice. Yeah. I, I was dancing to fucking Bruno Mars <laughs> in my kitchen <laughs> to, to psych myself up for that. Uh, we're so awkward. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, it's true. Oh, okay. It's true. It's true. It's true. Yeah. Um, so, hey, we got a podcast to do today, and I don't know about you, but I was awakened at four o'clock in the morning by a dog with an upset stomach. So I've been awake for hours. I am a couple of cups of coffee in. I'm ready to fuck this face in the day. What? This day in the face? <laughs> what? <laughs> what? <laughs> what did this you is gonna? <laughs> what? I was trying to say that I'm ready to fuck this day in the face, and it didn't come out right. <laughs> this is going to go great. This bodes so well. Oh, oh my, god. my god. I'm dying already. We're literally two minutes in, and I'm already dead. Oh, my God. That was so funny. Oh, this is going to be great. That is, that, by the way, that is how we get our Stephanie-isms, right? <laughs> That, is, that was up. Th- that was up there with. Uh, I am not the sandwich in this meat. <laughs> oh my god! Uh, so hey, do you want to? <clears throat> now that I've thoroughly humiliated myself on a microphone, uh, <laughs> that, that, so. that counts as your intro. Yeah, that's just it. letting you know. I'm gonna, I'm gonna fuck this. Can that face just be my intro face. forever? <laughs> Hi, my name is Stephanie. I'm the woman half of the show, and I'm ready to fuck this face in the day. <laughs> Oh, we have good energy. <laughs> we have such good energy, Heather. 
Uh, okay, okay. Are we, are we ready to introduce the show? I am. Okay, okay. Here we go. <sighs> hey, everybody. Welcome back to Marvelous Divas, the podcast where a woman and a gay man talk all about the MCU, the Marvel Cinematic Universe. That's what we're talking about today, right? I'm sorry. Marvel, I'm trying Marvel. To, I'm trying Carter, to orient Peggy myself Carter, in Peggy space Carter. and time, and it's right. not working. Okay. Uh, right. We're going to be talking about the MCU. Fuck. I'm so sorry, you guys. Uh, and uh, my name is Stephanie. I'm the woman half of the show, and I'm ready to fuck this. <laughs> <laughs> Who are you? Hey, everybody. Uh, my name is Chris. I am the Dame Homosexual. And oh. Ste- oh, yeah. And Stephanie? Mm-hmm. <laughs> hey, Mac, I got a tip for you. <laughs> Jarvis. Uh, just the tip just the tip uh no it's not just yeah. gonna be the tip Mm-mm. never just the no tip. okay so uh if you are new to the show why wouldn't you be we're only five episodes in what we are doing on this podcast is we are watching through the entire marvel cinematic universe canon visual media in chronological order, which means that we started with Captain America the First Avenger, and we are now moseying our way through Agent Carter, which is the <gasps> next thing that happens in the timeline. Uh, so that means today we are talking about Agent Carter, Season 1, Episode 3, Time and Tide. Dun, dun, dun. But before we get into that, uh, do we want to talk about a couple? Do you have anything else you want to talk about? Like a review, maybe? I've got a review we can read. Uh, I, You know, I forgot to look up the reviews, so if you have one, that's great. I do. Okay. Oh, my God. What? No, I'm just celebrating. Oh, I'm okay. Going, when, when the California says, like, oh, my God, that could mean, oh, great. Thank you for translating from <laughs> California into English. I appreciate that. You're welcome. It's California into English. Yeah. Fuck you, Texan. <laughs> okay. Uh, all, so, all's y'alls. Yeah, whatever. like like I don't have any Texasisms over here. <laughs> like an See, sense. I have I have both, so I just sound like a ridiculous person. <laughs> it's true. And that's the only reason why you sound ridiculous. I hate you. <laughs> okay. So um we love uh we love reviews, we love ratings, um, because they uh make us feel good and they make our day brighter, and also because they goose the algorithms of the various podcast platforms and get our show in front of more people, and more people is more fun for everyone, particularly when uh everybody has consented and discussed safe words ahead of time. So uh we have a review, a five-star review on Apple Podcasts from our friend Doug. Are you kidding me? Dear sweet Doug. Hi, Doug. Uh, Doug says, love your podcast. Hi, Chris and Stephanie. I can't wait to listen to you talk about the MCU and thirst over everyone in it. Ta-da. Here we are. All right. Are we... I also hope I can think of sad Marvel questions to ask you as well uh... as more sad Star Wars ones. Y'all, everybody's got that friend, right? Right. <laughs> that friend who's like, you know that thing you love, but what if, what if sad? <laughs> What if tragic? <laughs> what what if your heart shattered into a million pieces? And that for for our shows, that is Doug. So hi Doug, we do value your contributions, you you beautiful beast. <laughs> so, but anyway, so yeah, uh, if you like the show, uh, drop us a, a rating and a review, and right. uh, and it will brighten everybody's day. Um, I also have some feedback Uh-oh. that we got from a listener for the last episode. Oh, um, so. Last episode, there was a scene uh, towards the end where Peggy had been shot in the leg and Jarvis is stitching her up. Mm-hmm. And so on TikTok, we got a comment from the lovely Shenanigans. Oh. <laughs> I love usernames. Shenanigans. <laughs> uh, 
says, I love how they inverted the trope of where the lady patches up her hero with her soft, delicate hands, with Jarvis patching up Peggy with his soft, delicate hands. Oh. And like, brilliant. I did not even catch that. Absolutely 100%. This show is all about inverting tropes. And that's awesome. Thank you so much for catching that, shenanigans. I I, I would like Jarvis's hands. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, all over me. <laughs> He's... um. He's he's not my usual type, but my lord, <laughs> Dude, I, I love him. I well, your usual type is if it breathes, but um, I I, I, I really like <laughs> I really like accents, so mm-hmm. you know. But we'll talk about that later. We'll talk actually, about it. We'll talk about it. Okay. <laughs> my favorite part of the show was, was <laughs> dealing with accents. Um, yeah, I saw that scene. I was like, oh, this broke Chris. Um, do we have anything else before we dive into the episode itself? Nope. All right. So here we go into Agent Carter Season 1, Episode 3, Time and Tide. The setting still is 1946 New York. Did you see who directed this episode? Um, I... I forgot the name, but when I saw when I saw the name, I'm like, "That's not those aren't the Russo brothers." What's going on? Exactly. Yeah, the first couple episodes of this series were directed by real heavy hitters in the Marvel universe because they were throwing some weight and some le- legitimacy behind behind the series to 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 promote it some more. Um, but now they're just starting to get some really really good TV talent. So this episode is directed by Scott Winant. Uh, he has directed various TV shows, including Breaking Bad. Oh. True Blood, Better Call Saul, and Grace and Frankie. Oh, which episodes of Grace and Frankie did he do? Bitch, I don't know. I didn't write that down. <laughs> I'll look it up later. Multiple uh, episodes. A Grace, Grace and Frankie is by far one of my favorite shows of all time, and mm-hmm. definitely my favorite Netflix show. So, I if you have if y'all like comedy and you like fabulousness, uh, Grace and Frankie is the best. There you go. Even though, even though it blows my mind that President Bartlett is I was about gay. to say. <laughs> if you grew up on West Wing, it can be a little bit of a mindfuck to or watch law, that show. Or Law and Order. Like, or Law and Order. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, also, uh, this episode is not written by um, Marcus and McFeely, the guys who have been writing it up to this point. This episode was written by a lady by the name of Andy Bushel. Oh. And she, she has been writing for TV since 1999. She started with Allie McBeal. And remember, she's, remember when, when 1999 sounded recent? <laughs> Shut up, it still does. Go fuck yourself. <laughs> but no, she's she's been writing for TV since forever, and usually on female-centric shows. Mm-hmm. So that's why I, I feel like they're, they've they've established the the sort of the the MCU bona fides on this series with the first couple of production staffs mm-hmm. uh, of these episodes, and now they're handing it off to people whose bread and butter and talent really lives in the TV world, and that's awesome. So that there you go. Awesome. That is awesome. It is awesome. Okay, so uh, we open up the episode, and it is evening outside of the bustling Griffith Hotel. Oh 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 oh! I wrote something. Oh, do tell. I have an intro. Oh, oh, that's right. That's right. Yes, we were going to do this thing where you do an intro to recap. The- go, 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 go. I'm so excited. Go. I forgot okay. about this. This is, hopefully this isn't going to be too terrible. Okay. Eh. <clears throat> uh, <clears throat> hold on. <clears throat> Come this on, This is our, our, our previously on. <laughs> yep. Becky seeks bad babies. Reco- <laughs> <laughs> Re- recovering from the fallout of the death of a roommate. Peggy works with Jar- Jarvis in the location 
to find the location of the strange orange shit. Eventually locating <laughs> creepy guy number one, a.k.a. Leek Brannis. Peggy and Jarvis fight for their lives against creepy guy number two on top of a milk truck. Barely <laughs> avoiding exploding, Peggy and Jarvis manage to survive, but Leek Brannis dies while leaving a strange symbol in the sand. A new clue in the mystery. Meanwhile, the SSR is hot on their heels as they discover the license plate of Jarvis's abandoned car. Ba 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 ba! Perfect, brilliant. Yes, yes. Every time, every time, bitch. This is your job on this show now. That was awesome. <laughs> that's all. That's all I have to do now. I don't have to do the research, the comic books, because goddamn, we'll destroy you. <laughs> okay, so we are uh, at a bustling evening outside the Griffith Hotel, which is the all-ladies living space where Peggy is currently residing, and we see a shadowy figure of a man mm-hmm. eyeballing the building as women go to and fro. Then we cut to inside. We see Peggy- Peggy's new apartment, which is much bigger than well, the one that she was living in with What's-Her-Face. It was bigger, <laughs> but it's still small because we're still, hello, we're in, in New York. Yes, but it's I mean, at least she's not having to share it. And yeah. she can, like, it's, like, more than 10 feet across, you know? Uh, <laughs> and she doesn't have to have her kitchen in the room with her. Oh, my God. Yeah. Uh, and she is, did you see how she's pinning up her hair? Uh, I I was, I noticed she pinned up her hair, but I wasn't familiar with the how. Because, you know, I'm, if y'all don't already know, I have absolutely no hair on the top None. of my head. yeah. So. Uh, and you're just a big old dude. Um no, she, she's twisting it up and pinning it. And that was how we got the classic, like, soft 40s curls mm-hmm. in women's hair was because they would just sleep with it pinned up in, in curly cues. And that, oh. that would just set the curls for them overnight. In the morning, you brush it out a little bit and ta-da. So oh. that's what she's doing. She's pinning up her hair so that it will be beautiful the next day. And uh, But then there's a, there's a scritchy scratching at her window. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah, so the guy climbs up the side of the building and goes up to Peggy's window. And I'm thinking, oh, God, someone's going to try to kill Peggy again. Right. And she just moved in. Like, come on. <laughs> Give her a break. But no, that's not the case. So so, so uh, Peggy is quick. You know, I guess she has a gun. Did, did she have the gun on her already or did she <laughs> pull well, it out somewhere? I, I, she's just always got it. Yeah. He he gets up to the window and uh, <laughs> and he looks up and there is a barrel of a gun in his face. <laughs> not and what he it, was expecting. No, it turns out this guy is not an assassin. His name is Jimmy. He's an idiot. And he is looking for apartment 3F because his girlfriend lives there. Now, remember, the rules of the Griffith Hotel are very clear. No yep. men above the first floor. So Jimmy is scaling the outside of the Griffith Hotel so he can find his girlfriend on the third floor. Because they're going to bump chicka bump bump. Apparently. Something like that. Yep. Yep. Which, mm-mm. Bad. Yeah, it's, Bad. R- rules are being broken by Molly over in 3F. So, yep. uh, but Peggy was reading a book. Yeah. Uh, the Book of Symbols. The Book of Symbols. Because Leet Brannis drew the butt in the dirt. <laughs> and so I guess she's got a big book of symbols and she's looking for a butt. What Do you know anything about this Book of Symbols? Let me tell you about the Book of Symbols. Tell me all about it. So I don't know if it's based on anything, like, comic book-wise, but there is a Book of Symbols that was sold by Marvel in the 90s. Mm. Heather, do you remember Pogs? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, uh, In the 90s, uh, there was a... I don't know who sold it, but uh, there was a special series of Marvel-branded booklets that are designed to contain Pogs. Oh, my God. And it came with an exclusive... (laughs) Exclusive edition of like 12, 20 pogs of different symbols from the Marvel Universe. 
Wow. What was it with the 90s and, and making us buy round pieces of fucking plastic and cardboard? I, like like they were worth a goddamn thing. Yeah, so I owned that. <laughs> of course you did. <laughs> but that's that's what it that's that that's why when I when I saw Book of Symbols, I started laughing because I was like I had I owned that as a child. I don't know if anybody else did, but I owned it. <laughs> but no, um, what what's probably more interesting about the book of symbols is what's inside. What what Peggy sees inside. Mm-hmm. Did you recognize all the symbols that she's looking at when she's like? I I didn't. Through? I was I was too busy uh, geeking out over the fact that she was disguising the book of symbols as a complete works of William Shakespeare. So. I know, right? Uh, yeah, but they're uh, they're the Arcana symbols that. Uh, Doctor Strange. When Doctor Strange uses magic, they pop up. No way. Uh, yeah, they are. Uh, same <gasps> for there were some Asgardian symbols in there too. What? Yeah. Oh shit! So that I gotta book, go back and look at that now. Yeah. So that book is legit. Fucking a. Yeah. And where where does she get it? We don't know. We're not. We asking. don't know. Well, uh, we're not, yeah. I'm assuming the vaults of the SSR. Sure, sure. I mean, why not? She probably fucking put it in her purse because that's how she just steals shit out of the SSR because she needs it. Okay. Yeah, I, I, I had canon that at some point maybe a monk from the Sanctum Sanctorum got drunk and he had, he was using his magic in the streets of New York and the SSR Entirely had to come. Possible. <laughs> the SSR had to come up by and pick him up and be like, dude, mm-hmm. you're not supposed to do that. And what's this book? Oh, we'll take that for evidence. And that's how yeah. she got it. Yeah. Sure, sure. Yeah. So we cut to uh, Chief Dooley and Krasminski are following up on the hotel room key that was found at the wreckage uh, back in Jersey. The whole fiasco that went down last time. Um, Creepy guy number two had dropped a hotel room key. Mm -hmm. So uh, they're talking to the the guy who runs the hotel about the the tenant that was in the room that goes with the key. And the guy's like, no, he was totally quiet. He kept to himself. No big deal. Uh, And Dooley says, did he have any visitors? And the guy goes... Only for like an hour. Mm-hmm. So he was, it was hookers. It was hookers. Good for him. Yeah. You know, he's keeping the local economy going. <laughs> we are, we are sex worker positive on this Absolutely. show. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Uh, and so speaking of, they do pass a lovely lady of the evening in the hallway adjusting her garter. And she recognizes Krasminski. Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. I thought that was hilarious. Um, but they, they get to room 424, which is where creepy guy number two was residing, uh, and they start tossing it. They're looking for, for information, for anything, and they find his fucking weird magical typewriter. Yeah. Um, now, I'm not going to put this in the Stark uh, tech category. but Just because it's not? Because it's not. But the part that stuck out to me is they said it was a low-range transmitter. No, Which, long range. They say long they said, range later. I, oh, they said long later. Okay, so never mind. Because <laughs> I, I, I heard low and I was like, but wait, does that mean there's like somebody next door like communicating with them? And if so, that's really pretentious. <laughs> <laughs> right. No, it was a, it was under the desk, actually. That was, <laughs> that know, was so who he was communicating with. <laughs> he was getting message, secret messages from the prop guy under the desk. Um, but as they are <laughs> tossing the room, uh, Krasminski does find three passports that have been hidden away. Um, I mean, and this is classic secret agent spy shit, right? Mm-hmm. Like you got, you got a long range transmitter and they find three passports. Uh, and what's funny to me about these passports is the names on them. Did you hear them? Uh, I, I did hear them, but I didn't get the references. Okay. So the, the British passport is for an Alfred Lean. Uh, so like Alfred Hitchcock and David Lean. Oh. The uh, U.S. passport is for Orson Hawks, as in Orson Welles and Howard Hawks. 
And the Italian passport is for Federico Rossellini, as in Federico Fellini and Roberto Rossellini. God damn, Heather, you're so smart. I'm not. I found this online. Um, <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> but Chief Dooley is that smart because he heard that and he was like, oh, we got a film buff on our hands because all of those names are film directors from the 40s. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So, yeah, they were just making up names out of basic, basically film directors. So it was really cool. I like I liked that detail. Um, but they gather up all that stuff and they are on their way out with all of this evidence from Creepy Guy Number 2's hotel room. Bum, 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 bum. Dun, 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 dun. So is, is Creepy Guy Number 2 dead? Did he get blown up? Yeah, no, he he real dead. Okay. Yeah. I was just curious because I was like, I, I never got like, you know, I'm used to other other IPs where if you don't see a body, they're not dead. So, but he got vaporized probably. So. <laughs> yeah. Like they don't even have a body. <laughs> yeah. So uh, we cut to breakfast time at the Griffith Hotel. And once again, we've got women eating an entire fucking room full of women just chowing down on breakfast. I love it. But can I just say, I am so mm-hmm. glad I don't live in this era because you have right. to get dressed up. To go to breakfast. <laughs> I am sitting in a t-shirt and boxers trying to wake up in the morning when I'm having breakfast. I don't, I'm not, I am not getting my, I'm not putting my makeup on. I'm not putting my lashes in. None of that. You certainly don't have your hair did. Like, that's not a thing. No. Uh, but I mean, also, this is a common area on the first floor that is fairly public. So mm-hmm. everybody should be fully dressed for breakfast. Mm. Like. And they're also, they're like getting food so, and they're about to, they're all about to go to work. We see a lady dressed as a nurse. Um, Angie's got a, like part of her waitress uniform on. Everybody's, you know, they're working girls. Yeah. Not like that kind of working girl. These are professionals. Not that that kind of, pro- you know what I mean? Yeah. yeah. Um, anyway, and who, who should be sitting next to Peggy, but Molly from 3F. Oh no. <laughs> the one Molly. that Jimmy the idiot was visiting. Mm-hmm. She, and did, all, she did look very happy. She did. She was pleased. She was like, Jimmy's very persuasive. And I, said, and I, and I put in my notes, and nimble, LOL. Because we forgot to note, Jimmy was like, when he was hanging from the window, he was like, hey, Peggy, can you let me in? And she, oh, just, right. she didn't even say no. She just closed the fucking window on him. And I loved it. Uh, so then... Miriam, the house mistress of the Griffith Hotel. I'm loving her. She comes in and she starts giving a speech about Harry Houdini. Hey, Steph, would you like to know about Harry Houdini? I would. Tell me about <laughs> Harry. Do you know anything about Harry Houdini's visit to the Griffith Hotel? Because that's what she's talking about. Yeah. So uh, the the story. So if y'all don't know your Harry Houdini history, that you really need to. That is like early early 20th century Americana. Harry Houdini was the rock star before rock music was even around uh Mm -hmm. he you know obviously started in the carnival circuit but he brought a lot of legitimacy to uh magic the magic genre magic trick genre uh Mm. doing these insane tricks that had that caused a lot of publicity um he was extremely popular there was a time where he was touring the country and uh he is his shows sold out which was totally unheard of uh, at the time, so he got extremely popular. He did eventually uh, create a uh, actual worldwide recognized organization that exists to this day of like of uh, of, of magicians, and um, he tried to bring more professional legitimacy to that genre, uh, aggressively so, probably too aggressively. In fact, uh, w- one of the things that started his downfall was that he would actively sue people if they tried to mimic any of the uh, illusions he performed. So. Eh, it's kind of not great. Um, Harry Houdini attempted to uh, break into movies. He was one of the first people to, like, big celebrities to cross over into becoming a movie actor. But all of his movies bombed. 
and closer to the end of his life, which is about when he would have, you know, performed at the hotel, um, he was kind of, his popularity was waning really drastically and he was forced to, you know, do significantly smaller jobs, uh, like, you know, performing at an all girls, uh, dorm, mm-hmm. uh, to be able to like get by. He would only, according to the story that what's her name gave, uh, he was only going to be al- Miriam. Miriam. He was only going to be alive for another year. Oh, so, wow. Yeah. Okay. So, so it was really at the end of his life that he performed at the hotel. Cool. Awesome. Yeah. I did not know all of that about Harry Houdini. I have a I I love Harry. I I have a huge love for Harry Houdini. (laughs) What I love about this podcast, particularly with uh, as we're starting to go through Marvel stuff, is we get to geek out about so much other shit. I know, right? That we don't really have a chance to geek out about on the Star Wars show. It's really fucking cool. Well, like I I I love World War II history. I love this like era. Like I love everything about it. So it's so cool. So Miriam is telling a story about Harry Houdini, and Angie's like, "Oh no, Harry Houdini. That that's not good." So apparently this is a known shtick that Miriam uh-huh. does. Uh, and she mentions uh, that Harry Houdini uh, had performed here and he did all manner of crazy escapey tricks. But the one trick he could not pull off was ascending the stairs. <laughs> Molly. Molly gets called out in front of fucking everybody, everybody. and is told to pack her bags and leave because Molly. the Griffith Hotel is impenetrable. Yep. You're fired. Yeah. <laughs> bye, you- bye, Molly. Um, and Peggy's like, light bulb, impenetrable. Hmm. I got to go. <laughs> right. <laughs> like, Peggy, what, what leap are we following? Okay. We just got to go with her and see what the hell this turns into. Okay. Fine. Fine. So then... Hold on, I'm getting back into my notes because I was, I got distracted by Harry Houdini. I know, right? Um, do, what's your Harry? So you were an RA for an all girls dorm. That is true. Did you have a Harry Houdini type speech? Um, bitch, I don't know. That was so long ago. <laughs> I was a met like I was talking about that with my partner, and I was like, I bitch, I bet Steph just like walked out in the hall, and was like, "Don't fuck with me, bitches." <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I, there was one time I was a dorm mom for a high school theater camp. Oh, no. Uh, that was happening on campus no. uh, at the college. Mm-hmm. And I sat all of these kids down and I was like, look, I get that y'all are away at summer camp and this is really cool and you're all theater kids. Okay, that's awesome. Do you want to explain to your children one day that they were conceived at theater summer camp? Oh, my God. Steph. No, then don't. No sex. Do not be banging it out in this dorm. Okay? Cool. So, yeah, that was... <laughs> I remember, that was that's the only speech I remember. <laughs> I remember getting that, that same speech at a swim camp. And, he, <laughs> and he, you were like, not a problem. <laughs> I know, right? Me and the guy was banging. I was like, hee hee hee. Oh, we're sharing a room because we're guys? Okay. <laughs> and then <laughs> the, the, the next day, the, guy, the coach being like, you know, we didn't see you down in the the dormitory with the activities. You two just seem to be staying in your room a lot. Yeah, crazy. <laughs> okay, okay. So we cut to uh, Thompson, Dooley, and Krasminski are all hanging out talking about the case. And we're having a big evidence compilation dump. Oh, my God. Oh, no. What's that? Uh, apparently, my keyboard just jumped off of my desk. <laughs> what There's the fuck is of- going on? There's a lot of chaos energy with this episode. I don't know what's happening. What is happening? Oh, my God. (laughs) Please don't cut this from the show. Ignore everything. What is... ah, 
Why is my my notes document is spell checking everything now? Fuck off! What happened? Chaos. Chaos. Uh, okay. Uh, so yeah, we cut to uh, Dooley, Thompson, and Krasminski are having a big evidence info dump about the case. Mm-hmm. Uh, they have identified creepy guy number one, that is Leet Branis, and the coroner has identified the dental material in his teeth as being Russian in origin. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. And so uh, he's got a, a throat scar, which we've known about, which means that his voice box was cut out. Um, and they... I believe, yeah, they ran down his name and discovered that he was a member of the Russian military during the war. He was in the Russian Rifle Division, the 478th, and he's been dead for two years. Mm-hmm. Hey, would you like to know about the 478? Uh, yeah, please tell me about Russian Rifle Division, of the 478th. Yeah, so uh, y'all, if a if a television show or a movie does their homework and is also respectful of people... Uh, they will not use a real, uh, with some exceptions, like, for example, a historical fiction movie or mm. that is trying to be realistic and trying to give homage to a certain group of people. Um, they will make up fake uh, division names for right. whatever whatever group. So uh, uh, <laughs> Rifle Division 477 was, mm. in, our, in real life, the last actual uh, rifle division before uh, Stalin began a, great, a grand consolidation of the Soviet uh, army. So mm-hmm. 478 is a totally fictional division. Um, however, it comes up multiple times. They come up multiple times throughout the Marvel MCU. So, uh, uh, for example, there's a there's a reference to them in Captain America: The Winter Soldier, where uh, Bucky is found by a Soviet soldier, and he, for some fucking reason, turns him over to that creepy ass uh, uh, Ar- 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 oh, Ar- Arnon Zola. Um, oh, okay. I, which I don't know why. Uh, they're mm. also they're also mentioned uh, in a short story that's tied into the Black Widow movie uh, that's related to the uh, Red Room um, nice. and all that kind of stuff. So they are they're kind of one of those backdrop uh, things in the MCU. Uh, a Leviathan, which we'll talk about later, uh, I think in the next another episode. Um, Leviathan mm. did recruit a lot of soldiers from this rifle uh, group because. Um, supposedly they were in the battle for Berlin, which was one mm-hmm. of the more brutal uh, parts of the war for the Russians. Mm-hmm. And the fact that you survived that means you're a fucking badass. Well, and the, the Russian, I mean, in the 1940s, the Russian military contribution to World War II was astronomical. Oh, my God. Like yeah. their, their casualties were literally 50 times as many as anybody else. Yep. And so any Russian rifle divisions, they, it... Russian sharpshooters were fucking legendary yeah. in World War II. And so anybody from the Russian Rifle Division is like that. That'll raise eyebrows on anybody who served in the military. And so Jack Thompson is putting some respect on the name of Leap Branis here. Yeah. Um, did you have anything else on the 478th? I'm sorry. That's it. Cool. Um, so Leap Branis died two years ago in the Battle of Finau, Germany. And again, out of respect for actual battles that happened in the war, um, Marvel is referencing fictional places yeah. and fictional battles. The Battle of Finnau, Germany, is not an event that actually happened in World War II. But Leap Branis has supposedly been dead since then, so how did his fucking corpse show up here two years later? Uh, dun, okay. dun, dun. And this is where they find out that the typewriter was some kind of long-range transmitter. And... Um, <laughs> 
Jack Thompson has a friend at the Russian embassy who's going to run some of the, the pictures of, um, oh, they do have photos of creepy guy number two. There was something left of him because they have photos that they're going to run past the Russian embassy and see who he is. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So some part of his body survived. So that's nice. And then, <laughs> and then, uh, Sousa, blessed Sousa, my husband Sousa, uh, pops his head in and says that they ran the license plate that they found and linked it back to Howard Stark. Dun, dun, dun. Bum, bum, bum. Meanwhile, at Howard Stark's residence, we see Jarvis is clearing some dinner dishes or breakfast dishes. I don't know. Some dishes. And through the window, there's Peggy. Dun, dun, dun. I'm kidding. And, and um. we <laughs> hear... God damn it. With your dramatic music. I know. <laughs> um, and we do hear... This is going to be the second time now we hear the voice of Jarvis's wife off off camera. We hear Anna yelling for him to just leave the dishes. It's fine. She'll take care of it. And he sees Peggy and he's like, you know what? I'm going to take you up for that. Up on that. And I'm going to go deal with this fucking girl. Do we see her on camera ever? Or is that like Mm, a running gag? Not this season. That's funny. Yeah. Uh, (laughs) Shit, we haven't cast her yet. Here's a voice. Here's a voice. (laughs) (laughs) But I think, I I don't know because I haven't been able to see who they cast as the voice of Anna. But I think it's the same because the voice sounds the same. You'll see in season two when we actually meet her. Okay. um, That, yeah, the voice sounds very much the same. But anyway, uh, so Peggy is there because she wants to investigate the vault break-in because she had an epiphany from... Miriam talking about how the Griffith is impenetrable. She's like, no, no place is impenetrable. How did this guy get into the vault and steal all the bad babies? Let's go take a look at the vault. And Jarvis looks her up and down in her smart little skirt suit that she's wearing for work and her heels. And he's like, you're not really dressed for this. Yeah. uh, Side note, the actual Stark mansion. Mm -hmm. Uh, So do you remember the banquet hall uh, in the first episode where I talked about the the Women's Acting Academy and Fine Arts Mm -hmm. Institute? That's the same building. Really? Yeah, that is like like that's like the front side where you first go in. That mm-hmm. particular location, by the way, has been used in over a hundred and twelve movies. <laughs> I mean, it makes and, sense. And it's television so pretty. shows, yeah, in, including The West Wing. Um, uh, uh, the the weird episode where President Bartlett has a flashback to being a kid and having to deal mm-hmm. with his fucking horrible father. That one. Oh, yeah. Same place, yeah. Mm-hmm. And of course, it's Chilton at Gilmore Girls. Just letting you know. Sure. Yeah. Anyway, uh, so they're going to be, uh, he's taking her into, uh, into another building on the premises. I'm going to hit my desk. My God, today is chaos. <laughs> I'm too caffeinated for this. I, you're just like, <laughs> I'm just knees and elbows all over the place. Violence and violence. Okay. Anyway, God, he's taking her to go take a look at the vault. And on the way in, they're discussing the fact that um, on the night of the break-in, there was a huge thunderstorm and there was a power outage that took out the alarms for two hours. So Jarvis was never awakened by by the break-in because there was nothing to wake him. Mm-hmm. And he says it's because... I'm afraid the sultry combination of candlelight and rain always puts me out like a baby. <laughs> And Peggy's like, you're quite the guard dog. Security is not within my purview. Oh, God. (laughs) He's a little offended. Like, it's not my fucking job. (laughs) But Peggy is definitely like, "Mm, you kind of let this shit get stolen, but all right. And they are about to go look at the vault itself when there is, in fact, a knock at the door. Oh, God. Who could it be? (laughs) Well, it's uh, the SSR, specifically Thompson and the chief, right? No, Sousa. 
Susa. Oh, that's right. Mm, yeah. Mm-hmm. Because I love Susa and I love that he's like 10,000% done with knocking on fucking Howard Stark's door because he knocks on it. There's no answer. And he goes, unbelievable. A known fugitive isn't answering his door. <laughs> <laughs> like, what's up, sassy Susa? What are you doing? Stop mm-hmm. getting more attractive every day. That's crazy. You can knock on my door. I know. He's flirting with me through the camera. <laughs> That's what he's doing. You can knock on my door. Oh, sorry, sorry. <laughs> no. No. Oh, Flashback. Oh, okay, okay, focus. Uh, so Peggy's like, Peggy cannot get caught there. She can't. Because mm-hmm. why Why are you at Howard Stark's house, Peggy? That's a question that you can't answer very clearly right now without getting charged with treason. So mm-hmm. she hides just out of sight. Jarvis answers the door. And Thompson and Sousa let him know that they found the bumper and the license plate of Howard Stark's car. And Jarvis is like, oh, good. I hope you found the rest of the car because it was stolen. I reported that stolen to such and such officer at exactly this precinct. You can go ask them. And Thompson's like, ah, you know what? I don't have like a warrant for you or anything. I can go get one, but I'm hungry and it's lunchtime. So how about you just take a ride with us and Mm -hmm. uh, we'll go, we'll go answer some questions. I love this. I kind of love this part because it's such a classic noir, like, mm-hmm. let's let's go downtown type of thing. I don't know. Exactly. And look, okay, I know I know. we in this house, we hate Chad Michael Murray. I know. But he's got dimples that I just noticed for the first time in this episode. <laughs> Heather, it's really, like, I hate him. Okay, look, we've, we've long said a long time ago, just because I hate don't like you ain't me, I'm going to have <laughs> sex with you. <laughs> I just like looking at his dimples. His dimples with his with his hat at just like that that jaunty little film noir detective angle and the dimple. Oh, sir! I'm just I'm just saying while mm. we're, while we're <clears throat> I may punch him a few times in the face. Too. That's all I'm saying. You know? Like you just oops slipped and the no you really should negotiate those things ahead of time. Just yeah. Saying. That's if he agrees to it, then go for it. Sure. It'll still be fun. Anyway, uh, so Jarvis uh, is delighted to be riding in the back of a car for once and uh, gets a ride down to the SSR to have a talk with them. At the SSR, Krasminski is trying to get somebody to cover his night shift for him. <laughs> I love this. <laughs> and yeah. nobody's nobody's going to cover it. And they're like, why don't you ask Carter? Yeah. And Krasminski's like, man, Chief will never let me let a dame cover my shift. And then Carter uh, Peggy strolls in, uh, and she's a little late, and so he's like, Workday starts at 9 a.m., honey. And Peggy, with the shade of it all. I love her. She side-eyes him and goes, Tell me, Agent Krasminski, who are you bringing to the show? Your wife or your girlfriend? <laughs> Snap. Yeah, and there's a collective, ooh, from all the guys. That's good stuff. It's good stuff. And that's her last shining moment for a while in this episode. I love, Fuck. yeah. Yeah. Oh, fuck. The rest is really fucking rough. Uh, Okay. So, um, Thompson is interrogating Jarvis. And is it, we've seen what happens when Thompson is alone with somebody in an interrogation room. Yeah. Were you, were you a little, a little afraid for Jarvis in this moment? Uh, I was going to get, I was going to throw something at my television if, uh, if Thompson were to punch Jarvis in the face. Right, because Thompson's like casually taking off his jacket, rolling up his shirt sleeves, which, just to have a chat. Yeah, which kind of hot, but yeah, kind of scary. Yeah. yeah, the the rolling up the sleeves over the forearms—that's always hot, gentlemen. If any of you are listening, uh, make a note. That's always hot. 
Yeah, the rolling, rolling up the sleeves oh. thing, taking mm. off your sunglasses slowly thing. Oh, yeah, that works. Yeah, no, it's all good. It's all yeah, good. That works for anyway. me. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, what is Thompson's angle right now? What what is it, What do we learn during this interrogation? Well, you know, you know, so they're going back and forth and Thompson's all, where the fuck is Stark? And Jarvis's like, mm-hmm. I'm just a butler. And Thompson's like, oh, you're just a butler, huh? Mm-hmm. I have here a really interesting report on your activities before you came to this country. And uh-huh. it turns out Jarvis had committed, was charged with treason by the British government at some point. Dun, 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 charged with treason, dishonorable discharge. Yep. And Thompson actually says, and I've made a note of this because here's the thing, dishonorable discharge sounds bad, but here in our modern context, it's not, it is not the fucking stigma that it was immediately in the aftermath of World War II. Right. Like, holy shit. So Thompson's like, This looks bad. Bad to every good man who ever served. Bad to your friends, your neighbors, and to the fine folks at the Office of Immigration. Mm Mm-hmm. Like, seriously, if it got out, it could just destroy Jarvis's reputation if he gives a shit about that, that he had a dishonorable discharge. And that probably partially explains why he's not in the UK anymore. Because, you know, that like it it was, you know, it was bad in the United States, but it was even worse in the United Kingdom if you were dishonorably discharged. Mm -hmm. Especially, I think it was actually during World War II that he got dishonorably discharged, so... Yeah, it was early That's in the really war. Bad. We'll find that out later, though. Yeah. Um, so yeah, they—that is what they're using to push him. Is yeah. is this this treason charge and this the dishonorable discharge and who does who does Thompson threaten? Uh, Jarvis's wife. Yeah. Yeah, and that gets under it. See, I, I have in my notes. Fuck, I hate Thompson, but he's good. He's really good because yeah. Jarvis was so cool, calm, collected, totally unmoved by anything Thompson was doing until he brought up Jarvis's wife, Anna. Mm-hmm. And then, and this is credit to James Darcy, the guy who plays Jarvis, because his face, his facial expression barely changes, but he goes from totally cool, calm, collected to seethingly furious. Mm-hmm. In an instant, you leave my wife out of this, and that was amazing to watch. Uh, he just—I, I, oh. I, I, I still hate Chad Michael Murray, but goddamn, mm. Thompson's good. No, he mm-hmm. found the button and he pushed it. It was beautifully done, and so yeah, Jarvis is immediately furious. He is mm-hmm. on the defensive. He's saying, "You leave my wife out of this," and Thompson is like, "Hey, you brought her into this when you decided to break your, <laughs> break the law with your boss." Yep. So if you pay, she pays. Good luck explaining to her why you're both getting deported. And just, oh. And like, what does that have to fucking do with anything? They're they're threatening to blackmail him to the Office of Immigration right now because they want information about Char- about Howard Stark. It's a by any means necessary mentality, which exactly. that's, that's how they rolled. So. Exactly. So meanwhile, on the other side of the mirror... Um, Susa and Dooley and Peggy steps in, uh, are talking about the fact that, um, they've only got him there on the license plate. And mm-hmm. the license plate was on a car that was reported stolen. Um, and Susa's like, well, if we find that stolen car report, we don't have any reason to hold him. We can, we can let him go. And Chief Dooley's like, well, it's lost in the system. And he holds up a file. Uh. He's got the stolen car report in his hand. Uh. It's right there. We are unethical motherfuckers in the SSR. Well, yeah. I mean, 
I mean, uh, the SSR turns into shield, and we know the bullshit shield pulls. Oh yeah, so, it's yeah. shield writes their own ethical code, yeah. and uh, and they write that in dry dry erase. You know, <laughs> that ain't exactly carved in stone. Uh uh-uh. um, Anyway. So yeah, they're still they're going back and forth, and they're pushing Jarvis, and uh, he's really mad. And Peggy's like shit because Jarvis is starting to crack. So Peggy dips out. She goes to her desk. She grabs some files off of her desk. She comes click clacking back in with her heels into the room. He's like, "Oh hey, Chief Dooley, could you um could you sign these for me real quick?" And he's like, "Fucking now, yeah, right now, right now." In the middle of this? Okay. And she's like, no, it's, it's, yeah, if you could, I just, I, you know, I'm just a silly girl who needs to do her job and I need your signature on this. Uh-huh. She puts her files down on top of the stolen car report. Oh my God, Peggy. He signs it. She picks up her files and the stolen car report and is out the door. I hate it. I hate it so much. <sighs> okay. So then Thompson's like, okay, you know what? Cause he feels like he's got Jarvis right where he wants him, right? Mm-hmm. He's like, you know what? I'm going to go talk to my chief real quick. Uh, and I will, I'll be right back. Cause they're doing the bad cop, good cop thing. Right. Or they're exactly. going to. They're going to, tr- he's going to, his ploy here is to bring Chief Dooley into the room so that Chief Dooley can be like, hey, we, this doesn't have to get ugly. Mm-hmm. You know, we can we can offer you a whole deal here. All you got to do is spill your guts. And like they are really doing this very well. If if Jarvis was a bad guy, I would be cheering them on because this is some this is a, a, a dance of interrogation that they're pulling off here. But Jarvis isn't a bad guy. I know. But but neither are they. And like, ugh. <laughs> This fucking double agent <sighs> shit is breaking my brain. I know. I hate it. <laughs> <sighs> so they have a quick convo in the hallway. They're like, he's totally ready to crack. Are you ready? Cool. Yep. They open the door into the interrogation room. And right then, Peggy walks up. Chief Dooley, I'm afraid I mistakenly took your stolen car report. Which Jarvis hears. Mm-hmm. And Jarvis knows that he doesn't have to stay. And so he's just like, oh, okay, well okay. then... Uh, <laughs> Bye, bitches. <laughs> I'm just going to head out. Dooley and Thompson look livid. Oh my God, they're They so are pissed. furious. And I hate this moment so much. Because what woman in a professional setting has never had to play fucking dumb just to get the job done around a bunch of men? Who hasn't... Who... Who... I can't tell you how many times I had to do it before I gave up and decided I wasn't going to play dumb for men anymore. And then my career stalled out. Yeah. She had to do this because it was the only way to make sure she had to signal to Jarvis that it was that they were holding him falsely, that they had the stolen car report that he could go so that to get him out of that room before they cracked him. Ugh. But she did completely blow the interrogation. She did. She fucked the whole, uh, on purpose. She knew, uh, to, to be clear, y'all, she knew what she was doing. Oh, yeah. She did this on purpose. And she also knew the, what the consequences would be. And that's why she has this, like, face on her the whole time going, I fucking hate this the whole mm-hmm. fucking time. Because she does get, she gets marched into Dooley's office yeah. where he is chewing her out. Mm-hmm. He is screaming down the walls at her and just making doing his best to make her feel about two inches tall. Every guy in that office can hear every word. And she's just being publicly humiliated in front of everybody in that office because she is doing she she did what they think was stupid, but it was actually exemplary, amazing, brilliant spy work thinking on her feet. But they don't know that. 
All they know, all they see is that she fucked up Jack Thompson's interrogation, and now they're never going to catch Howard Stark because of Peggy. And the worst part, I mean, she's standing there and she's enduring it because Mm -hmm. she has to play like, oops, I'm just a stupid girl who did a stupid thing. The worst part is when Dooley made her apologize to Jack Thompson. I hate that. You see this man? He did exemplary work today and you ruined it. Now, what do you have to say to him? Agent Thompson, I apologize. Agent Carter, sorry, doesn't even begin to cover it. Oh! And, and well, for me, the worst part is she's more competent than anybody in that fucking office, and right. she has to suffer through all this bullshit. Like you said, you had to, you had to play dumb for mm-hmm. <laughs> for a good portion of your career until you decided not to, and all of a sudden, boom. Yeah, you know, and that's true. It's the way it is today. Uh, yeah, and the look on her face. Uh, 10,000% credit to Haley Atwell. The look on her face. Like, she even got those two bright, bright spots of red up on her cheeks that you get when you're just so fucking humiliated, but you yeah. have to hold it together. Yeah. And just, the, she can't cry. You cannot cry right now. I don't care how angry you are, because it's the angry tears. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You know, just, oh, she's got, her eyes are super bright because she cannot, she can't even blink. Because if you blink, the tears are going to start and you cannot cry in front of these motherfuckers. Hold it together, girl. I'm just like, I'm cheering for her. Like, just, just hold it together. Just hold it together until you can get somewhere. Shake it off. Shake it off. You're going to be fine. Fuck. <laughs> it was such a moment. And it was such a perfect moment. And I really credit that moment to Andy Bushell, who wrote mm-hmm. this episode, because only a woman could have written that moment. Mm-hmm. I, be- I I firmly believe that this was pulled from personal experience. Oh, I'm sure. Oh, I mean, she worked in Hollywood, so it's like every fucking yeah. day, I'm sure. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. <sighs> okay, shaking it off, shaking it off. What's yeah. next? What's next? <laughs> uh, so we're back at the we're back at the hotel, uh-huh. um, and uh, Peggy's in her room. Angie, uh, it looks like Peggy's getting ready to do something. She has this huge uh, bag of stuff, yeah. mm-hmm. and and suddenly there's a knock at the door, uh, and it's Angie. Now, Stephanie, <laughs> yeah, we're both introverts. Uh-huh. When we're in our place, we're in our room. We're in our room, and exactly the door's uh, closed for a reason. Yeah. If, if if a friend wants to come over, they call ahead. No, and, no, text. Don't or, call or, me. Or, or, well, okay, I don't or, use my phone for that. <laughs> call me. <laughs> they, they 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 text me ahead, and they're like, "Hey, do you want to hang out tonight?" And I'm like, "No, I'm busy." You know, that's mm-hmm. or you know, let's make plans next week, and then we'll figure out how to back out of the back out of exactly. Week, you know. <laughs> So to me, I love Angie, but she's kind of like the worst friend ever no, for me. <laughs> but, but what Angie is, because here's the thing, if left to our own devices, introverts would stay inside our hamster ball forever. Right. And we would never emerge. It is on extroverts to adopt one of us and then like drag us kicking and screaming out into the world. Right. Right. Anyway, so Angie is so thrilled to have her friend Peggy now living just down the hall from her, she just fucking barges into Peggy's room. I fucking hate this. <laughs> I That is my worst fear. Like, if I'm in a common room reading a book, okay, fine, walk up to yeah, me and talk I'm to me. Yeah, I'm in a public space. I've put myself in a space for to be approachable. If I'm in my room, oh my god, yeah. leave me the fuck alone. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway. anyway. Exactly, exactly. No, 100%. Yeah. So, Angie had a shitty day at work, and Peggy's like, yeah, well... Haven't we all had a shitty day at work? Right. <laughs> and Angie says, 
And this is the sweetest thing. She's like, I got a bottle of schnapps and half a rhubarb pie. Let's see which one makes us sick first. Aww. Like they're going to they're going to dish about their bad day. And like, I would love a bottle of schnapps and half a rhubarb pie. Actually, that is 100 percent how you turn the angry introvert around. Like, oh, oh, there's pie. Oh, there's okay. food. <laughs> oh, there's, yeah. sti- there's stimulation that doesn't require talking. <laughs> there's food and booze and and we're going to dish about our day. I'm on it. Yeah. But any but Peggy's like, "Um, actually I was just going to I was just going to go to bed. If you could fuck off, that'd be great." <laughs> and Angie's like, "Okay, fine." Instant mood switch. She's like, "I'm being I'm being hustled out the door. I know a brush off when I see it." Fine. Fine. Oh my god. I I don't know this for sure, but Angie's a fucking spy, isn't she? <laughs> <laughs> I'm not telling you shit. God damn it. So Angie is huffing to the door and Peggy's like, fuck, I hurt her feelings. I didn't mean to hurt her feelings, but I have to go do secret spy shit tonight. I can't be hanging out and eating rhubarb pie right now. And pause. Here's the thing about Peggy. She's not good at friends. No. She's definitely not good at friends with women. Because she has spent the last many years of her career surrounded by military men Mm -hmm. in wartime situations and training to be a spy. She has zero practice actually having a genuine friendship with another woman. Actual human connection outside of a high-stress situation, like everyday people, that's not something she's any good at. And I love that. I love that so much, too. Like, yeah, you're right. She has been doing some serious shit. And she's also really, like, she's being trained to keep secrets. Yeah. And so she's she's not going to sit down and, like, open up Mm -hmm. because that Mm -hmm. goes against all of her training. Exactly. So anyway, uh, they get to the door and Peggy's like, no, Angie, I'm sorry. And then boom, right out in the hallway, there's Miriam introducing them to a whole nother new person. So like Peggy is extra introverted out. Oh my God. Because here's a whole other. This is my nightmare scenario. (laughs) (laughs) Like you just had a fight with your friend and now here's a new person. Uh, introduces her to, uh, Dorothy Underwood. I love that name, by the way. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, but she says, no, call me Dottie. Uh, so yeah, we have a new girl, a new girl who has moved into the Griffith. Awesome. And so yeah, they, uh, they had their quick little introduction, blah, blah, blah. And then we move on. Yeah. Okay. So Peggy is at Stark's house, uh, and they are getting ready to, it looks like, because there's a giant hole in the floor. They're in the vault and there's yep. a giant hole in the floor, which is how Leap Brannis got in and stole all the bad babies. Can I, can I tell you a uh, peek behind the curtain? Yeah, please do. This is how this is how important proper grammar is, y'all. I, I, I left out a word in this line, so that made this entire uh, scene very inappropriate. I wrote what down. What did you do? Uh, instead of uh, I wrote down Jarvis shows Peggy hole instead of Jarvis shows Peggy the hole. The hole. Nice. Yeah. Nice. No, yeah. I like that's that's fan fiction right there. <laughs> we could spin that <laughs> off. Into a, what, a what little, Jarvis Jarvis going to turn to Peggy and be like, "Can you peg me now?" that's why her name is peggy no no you know what that joke was inevitable okay i do not apologize for that (laughs) and we're done for this episode okay (laughs) so they are looking at the giant hole in the floor Mm -hmm. and uh (laughs) jarvis peggy's like wow okay that's impressive and Jarvis says, Mr. Stark believes the intruder had advanced technological assistance. And Peggy says, Mr. Stark believes brushing your teeth requires advanced technological assistance. <laughs> and she's and not, she's, she's right. not, yeah, I was about, she's not wrong. There is no lie <laughs> she, detected there. She is correct about mm-hmm. that. 
So uh, they are getting ready to rappel down. Like they've got rig on and like a harness and there's a rope attached. And I'm like, I'm watching this. I'm like, what the fucking deep is this hole that they need all (laughs) of this crazy equipment to go down? (laughs) And they're like strapped to each other, like Uh face to face, which is interesting because Peggy's like, so um, conversation about treason. Yeah, so you've mm-hmm. done this before, huh, Jarvis? Hmm? Mm-hmm. 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 And Jarvis is like, yeah, about that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And I can't help but feel like this whole conversation about like, so you had treason, I don't need to know about it. And Jarvis is like, good. But Peggy's clearly saying, but you should tell me. But you really should me. tell me. Yeah. <laughs> but but Jarvis is taking her at her word. It's a really good uh, interplay. I feel like that whole conversation was supposed to happen during a long drop. But I don't know what happened with the show, but this drop is maybe 10 feet. Like, <laughs> why did they need all these ropes? Do they not have a ladder? Well, maybe Because not. a ladder would have gotten the job done. <laughs> Yeah, but I'm trying to think. I don't think aluminum ladders were around yet, so... There's no way that they couldn't have had, like, a wooden 10-foot ladder I mean, in it, some it, it, form. In Stark's mansion, is there not, like, a floating like, a platform they can just... Is there not a down? flying ladder? Like, right, come on. Right, it's true, it's true. How is there not... How... Why? Okay. I just felt like it was a lot of, of rigging for not a lot of falling into this hole. Okay. But they have gone down into the sewer slash storm drain underneath the house. Would you like to know? Oh my god! I've been, I've been yeah. So y'all, we were. <laughs> Stephanie has been has been foreshadowing this this moment. Uh, it's not really that much, but okay. here's the thing. Um, so there is this enormous like tunnel underneath the house, and it's it's this very brick tunnel, and it's like. You wouldn't expect, like, when I imagine sewers, I don't, I don't imagine, like, a cavernous space mm-hmm. where you could easily stand, a, a six foot plus man can easily stand upright comfortably. I don't, I don't typically imagine that. But this is New York City. Mm-hmm. And the New York City sewer system is a hell of a thing. So Peggy knows a thing or two about it. Apparently she spent like a week living in the sewers in 1942. We get no further information about it. And I don't, I don't need to know more. It's fine. I I really don't. But she knows that New York City uses their sewers to run off stormwater down to the river. So Mm -hmm. if it was a big ass thunderstorm that night, all Leap Brannis needed was a canoe and a weather report. And he would have known that he could get in and then just put all of his loot in the boat and just get out to the river. Mm-hmm. He wouldn't need to carry out a bunch of stuff if there was just a bunch of, of water flowing. So the New York City sewer storm uh, and drain system as of today uh, is over 6,000 miles of pipes, tunnels, a complex series of lock systems and pumps, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. In the 40s, it wasn't even, it wasn't much less than that. The sewer system in New York City is enormously advanced and kind of always has been. Mm -hmm. Because... Kind of has to be. Right. Because a good sewage system, a good system for being able to to dispose of waste is the hallmark of a civilized society. It is, that's how you know you're in a fucking city. And it mm-hmm. always has been. Um, so the sewer system in New York was first put in place back when it was uh, New Amsterdam. Because even old New York was once New Amsterdam. Why they changed it, I can't say. People just liked it better that way. 
Huh? Huh? Istanbul? Not Constantinople? Is it, is it, okay, somebody listening got that joke. Fuck you. Okay. <laughs> the sewer system was first put in place oh in, the, in the 1600s. And it was like a ditch that ran under the main road through town. Okay. Mm-hmm. And it's just been built up and built up and built up since then. I Googled, so that y'all don't have to, I Googled New York City sewer system 1940s. And I got some crazy images. You do not want to Google image search the New York City sewer system. FYI. Because you will find pictures of the New York City sewer system. And um, shit goes through the sewer system. Like massive icebergs, but it's not ice, if you get oh my meaning. Oh my god. Float through the sewers. It's awful. But uh, yeah, the size of the tunnels that they built in the 40s, like... I saw a picture of a freshly installed tunnel that like had everybody who was involved in building it for the sewer system. One of the sewers, the the tunnels that would go like Peggy and and Jarvis are standing in that would run water from under the city out to the to the rivers. Right. And it had a dozen men standing shoulder to shoulder across this tunnel. Wow. It's so fucking huge. Um so yeah, like this this is absolutely 100% plausible. That Leap Brannis could have just rowed a little boat up the tunnel underneath Stark's vault, cut a hole, unloaded everything into his boat, and gone out to sea. You know, it's only taken us uh, two years of doing podcasts together for us to finally talk about sewers. <laughs> so I'm, I'm, you know, this momentous occasion. <laughs> well, I mean, you know, it do- it doesn't come up a lot in stores. <laughs> Because we haven't gotten to the original trilogy yet. Oh my god, you're right. Where it will come up. Um, anyway, so that is what they have determined. They just need to follow the pipe, and they will be able to follow his route out to sea and see like what they can find from there. Mm-hmm. Uh, so yeah, we cut to uh, the, the guys at the SSR. Uh, the night shift is Sousa and Kresminski. Because Krasminski couldn't get anybody to cover his shift. Of course. So yeah. night shift guys, yeah. Yeah. And Thompson, right before he leaves, drops off a file saying that they got an ID from the Russian uh, consulate about uh, creepy guy number two. His name is Sasha Demidov. And that's a, that's a name. Yeah. And uh, wacky, crazy coincidence, also scar on his throat, also died two years ago at the Battle of Finnau, Germany. Dun, dun, dun. The dots are starting to connect. Oh, Yeah. So, uh, Susan and Krasminski are sitting there. They're eating like some sandwiches from takeout or something. And they have a little conversation where Krasminski's like super bummed because he couldn't get anybody to cover his shift. And Susan's like, well, did you ask Peggy? Did you ask Carter if she would cover it? And Krasminski's like, well, she was all, she was all bitchy about it, essentially. Okay, she <laughs> and, called my ass out about being a whore. <laughs> yeah. And Susan's like, I'm sure you were very respectful and polite. And Krasminski's like, hang on. You sweet on her, Susan. Oh. Because, God damn it, Kresminski, you, pers- you fucking perceptive motherfucker. So he's like, yeah, are you are you sweet on Peggy, Sousa? And Sousa's like, shut up. No, what? Don't you have enough women in your life to worry about? You gotta, uh, 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 uh. <laughs> And Kresminski, Kresminski gets real hundred real quick mm-hmm. on Sousa. He goes, let me give you a nickel's worth of free advice, pal. I love that saying, by the way. <laughs> a nickel's worth of free advice. Yeah. <laughs> He says, no girl's going to trade in a red, white, and blue shield for an aluminum crutch. Facts, facts, facts. Ouch. Sorry. Ouch. I mean, that was a shitty thing to say, but 
you know, we, we discussed this before with Peggy, like you're in love with the paragon of humanity. Like she's, she is still, <laughs> she's still mourning. Understand that, you know, Captain America, the first Avenger started in 1942. Mm-hmm. It ended in 1945. Mm-hmm. That was, they had three years. It has been a year since he disappeared. She's still mourning him. Mm-hmm. And Sousa can have a crush on her all day long. And he clearly does. But and, how and do you, how do you, how, how are you not intimidated by the looming specter of the memory of Steve Rogers? And on top of that, she's also probably dealing with other trauma. Cause hello, she was in fucking World War II. And that's mm-hmm. just not like our World War II, an even worse version of World War II. Cause hello, Hydra. You know, yeah. so yeah. yeah, I mean, it, with crazy fucking space magic weapons and shit. Yeah, so Peggy's not in it. For, Peggy's not looking for a relationship at all right now. Period. Yeah, that's just not where her head's at. No. And just the look on Daniel Souza's face oh, when Chris Minsky said that just broke my heart into a million pieces. And I Ugh. wanted to hold him and 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 protect to him my and, close to my bosom yeah. for to give him comfort. Yeah, naked comfort. He's so pretty. <laughs> crutch smutch. I will take a man with an aluminum crutch in a heartbeat. Oh, yeah. You can just lay oh there. Oh, my God. Oh, that's fine. I'll do all the work. We, uh, yeah, that's fine. It's fine. Okay, anyway. <laughs> so, meanwhile, back in the sewer. Uh, Peggy and, and Jarvis are walking along. They're following the route uh, out to sea. And Peggy stops. And she's like, no, I need to know. I got to know about the treason. Yeah, because when, you, when, you, when you're when you like, you don't have to tell me anything, Jarvis is like, okay, I'm not. and and peggy's gonna be like fuck this i'm tired of being nice about it what the fuck jarvis yeah you gotta tell me if we're gonna work together you gotta tell me and jarvis hems and haws for a little bit but ultimately we do get the story Mm -hmm. and it's so sweet it is just uh it's the sweetest little little wartime love story that you ever did hear yeah so Jarvis was serving in the british military underneath a general and they were stationed in budapest where he met anna who was working in a tailor shop, and she sold him the most beautiful tie. Aww. And, like, of course that was the way to his heart. Of course of it course was. Of course it was, yeah. Oh, oh God. Fucking um, British. But then, while they were stationed there, the war broke out. And then the war broke out, and things became difficult. She was Jewish. Still is, I'm happy to say. Jarvis is, is so... He brightens up and he's just so proud and in love with his wife in that moment where he says, and she still is. <laughs> and just, oh, so good. So, you know, Jarvis, it, you just imagine slightly younger Jarvis just madly in love with this girl who is now under existential threat by this war. And the general that he works for has letters of transit that would have gotten her safely out of the country. But the general refused to sign them for her. So Jarvis forged his signature on them. Ooh, but fuck, yeah, but that's exactly what I would have done. Right. Yeah. And so that's what got him his dishonorable discharge. That's what got him charged with treason, was forging his superior officer's signature on documents to get a, a citizen, a Jewish citizen, out of harm's way. But who saved their asses? Stark. Howard Stark. Yeah. It turns out Howard Stark's kind of a good guy when he wants to be. Yeah. Because you know how fucking charming Stark can be. Uh, he worked with the general. They had a really good relationship. And so he pulled some strings and threw a bunch of money at it and got Jarvis and Anna the fuck out of there. And so now the two of them are deeply loyal to Howard Stark. Yep. And they should be because he saved their lives. Oh, Stark, Stark, Stark. Let's be clear. 
the charge of treason against Jarvis would have gotten him hung by the neck until dead. Yep. So, yeah. So, so Peggy accepts that, yes. <laughs> accepts that story. <laughs> yeah, because obviously, like, she, she gets it. And now we have this, what I really love is we're watching their, their friendship grow, uh, through, through this, like, requiring honesty from each other and then commiserating about the fact that they can't be honest with the other people in their lives because Anna doesn't know what Jarvis is doing right now. Oh my God. She just knows that he's a butler. She doesn't know that he's doing this spy shit for Howard Stark. It's crazy. <sighs> so anyway, uh, they follow the tunnel down to, and they find where it lets out to the ocean. Yep. And or hey, to the river. And hey, there's a boat with a butt on it. <laughs> <laughs> there's a boat with a butt on it. <laughs> uh, uh, specifically, it's the symbol that uh, Lee Brannis uh, d- tried to draw in the sand while he was dying. It's right. right on the side of the boat. So it's a it's a heart with a rope across it, and the boat is called the Heartbreak. Yep. So hey, there you go. Uh, they found it, and they just like walk right up to it. Yep. Just walk because the boat the boat is still like connected to electrical. Like somebody's there. The boat is still being used. Mm-hmm. So they want to go and find out. And so they just walk right up to the boat, and like I I saw that as weird, but then I remember there's no good way to sneak up on a boat at a dock. Uh, especially, especially at this time, because uh, uh, the dock's made of wood. Mm-hmm. Uh, the boat she, is, you know, the, the boat. Like you can't, yeah, you cannot be stealthy on a small boat like that. Well, and you can't. Like my my mom's got a boat. You can't sneak up on that boat. No, because everything moves. You hear every footstep on the dock outside. Mm-hmm. Uh, if somebody steps onto the boat, you feel that too. Yeah. Like there's no sneaking, so no. they just walk up to it. But they are being watched from the shadows by a shady guy. And this really echoes the like the first image of this episode with the shady guy who ended up being Jimmy the Idiot. But this is a different shady guy. We have to assume it's not Jimmy the Idiot. Right, right. Who is watching them get on this boat. Okay. As I wrote, uh, creepy guy number three. <laughs> or is it exactly. a guy? Who knows? How but, many creepy guys are there? There are so many. Uh, in, uh, in Noir, there's going to be a lot. <laughs> yeah, like a lot, a lot, a lot. So they get on this boat and what do they find? Uh, they find <laughs> Howard Stark's bad babies. They find all the bad babies. They're all labeled. There's just Stark tech bullshit all in a pile in all these boxes. And Peggy starts poking through them and she finds a glowy green thing Yep. in one of the boxes. Uh, turns out that is the constrictor. Jarvis identifies it. It causes massive involuntary muscle contractions that can break bones. Yep. Which and, is and- fine if you want it to break bones, but not if you want it to be a back massager, which was its original purpose. So this led into a really uncomfortable conversation about what happens if Howard Stark does sex toys <laughs> and how can that go horribly wrong? You know? So wrong. So wrong. <laughs> so anyway. very, very wrong. Uh, okay. Uh, interesting note. So the energy inside of it was green, right? Mm-hmm. And yeah. green is associated with the uh, green, uh, the time stone of uh, the Infinity uh, the Infinity Stone gems, whatever they're fucking called, okay. and and uh, so me and a friend had a theory that oh, no. what if the way it works is it freezes the 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 molecule like the time of the molecules in your in your skin, uh huh, and not others, and that's and everything just kind of gets contorted and cracks, and that's why that's how it works. I mean, it could be uh, nothing. Nothing is entirely out of pocket. I just don't see that Stark would logistically have had access to the Time Stone at this uh, point. Maybe he charmed the Sorcerer Supreme somehow. Do you really find that likely? Uh, Have very you... well. No. no, unless unless she, I don't know. Like 
The Swinton is immune to human charm. You better believe the Swinton is unfazed by such petty concerns of the flesh. Uh, I think the she Swinton likes, is I an think... alien angel upon this earth. <laughs> I think she likes to get laid, though. If 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 she deemed it so, sure. But it wouldn't be like the. It would be because she decided ahead of time. Oh, absolutely. Like she would see Howard start coming a mile away and go, "Yeah, I'm gonna hit that." Yeah, and, and then and... she would let him think that he charmed her. Yeah, exactly. That's what I'm. That's yeah. where I'm. That's where I'm going with that. Oh, okay. Okay. Yeah. Then yes, we agree. But no, that I maybe maybe write me the fanfic. <laughs> Howard Stark banged it out with the Sorcerer Supreme and got some Time Stone energy to make a back massager that doesn't work. <laughs> Fucking typical. Okay, so Peggy, Peggy's like, all right, we have found the stuff. We win. All we need to do, I'm going to go call the guys at the SSR. We're going to call this in and then we're done. It's going to be great. And Jarvis is like, um, no, <laughs> hold on. You actually cannot do that. Mm-hmm. And Pe- <laughs> Peggy turns to him and she says, do you see the day I've had? I will call them in and they will respect me. Exactly. And Jarvis says, but they won't. They'll only use it to tear you down. If you wish to clear Mr. Stark's name, you must do so from the shadows. She can't take credit for this. Because how how do you explain it? How did you find it? Yeah. How did you even know this was here? Yeah. You can't explain it without also incriminating yourself. This has to be secretly called in. She cannot have any recognition for her extraordinary achievement in this moment. And that breaks my heart for her all over again. It is very fitting that she is standing on a boat called the Heartbreak. God damn it. It's a little bit too on the nose, but here we are. No. Put it on the nose. (laughs) This is noir. Everything's on the fucking nose here. I know, I know, I know, I know. Anyway, so she tells Jarvis, fine. You know what? Go call it in to the SSR. Do not give it to Krasminski. Right. Souza is on the night shift desk. I could just about stomach him getting credit for this. So call Souza. By the way, they know your voice. So you need to discuss you need to do, your you need voice to do something about that when you call it in. So then, then Jarvis goes to a payphone. Oh and, my uh, god! <laughs> hey Mac, I uh, got a hot tip for you. This was my favorite moment, and, th- and and every time. So I have a lot of European friends, right? Uh huh. Every time they do their American accent impression, mm-hmm. this is exactly what it fucking sounds like. <laughs> and my and my favorite my favorite part about this was uh-huh. well, two two favorite parts of moments about this: the uncomfortable uncomfortable face that J- Jarvis is giving <laughs> while trying to do this accent. And then at the very- like, like panicking and also cramping muscles in his face because he's never used them before. Exactly. And, like and, then, and then I love at the very end, he just can't fucking help it. He's like, all right, then cheerio or something like that. And it was just- have, have a lovely night. <laughs> so fun fact about that scene. Uh, according to James Darcy, they shot that scene five different times with five different levels of American, of bad American accent. Oh my God. Like there was one where he did like a really, really good American accent all the way down to a really fucking awful American accent, five varying levels. And I do not know which take they used, but it was the perfect one. I'm going (laughs) to say it was probably on a one to five scale of awfulness. I'm going to say it's a 
four. <laughs> <laughs> it was pretty bad. <laughs> like it was like it was bad, but it wasn't as bad as I've heard before. You know, right? Could have been worse. Yeah. Uh, and and Sousa got the call and was like, "What the fuck?" Okay, no, we gotta go because he just got an anonymous tip that they found all of Howard Stark's stuff. So they're on their way to the docks to find the stuff. Meanwhile, Peggy is back on the boat. I've had this fantasy before, just FYI. <laughs> Where a giant dude uh-huh. in a in an undershirt and suspenders uh-huh. finds you on a boat. Uh-huh. Really? Oh yeah. Oh yeah. And and is looking like really aggressive. Yeah. 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 It was is kind of hot. Um, yeah. And so that's anyway, what, that's what I'm saying. There's a random giant dude on the boat. Yeah, he's huge. And. Uh, Peggy heard him coming up behind her. She thought it was Jarvis. So she was like, oh, oh, you're back so soon. Turns around and it's the guy. And the guy's like, yeah, Brandis told me to expect somebody. Uh, and they have a quick exchange where it is clear that this this guy is 100% ready to beat her to death. Yeah. So they have a full-on brawl. Mm-hmm. It is amazing. It is enormously physical. So this guy, who is this dude, we're going to talk about him. Uh, this character is named, we will find out later, Jerome Zandau. Uh, and Jerome Zandau is actually a character from the Captain America comics number five that was issued in 1941. What? Wait, you're, you're stealing my thunder. Oh, did you already, did you know this? Yeah, but that's okay. fine. That's fine. No, it's fine. No, you go. You t- No, that's you literally it. all. That's everything I know. Oh, okay. <laughs> you just, uh, uh, <laughs> sorry. I'm sorry. I didn't think that you would do a deep dive into this guy. So. Um, I I expressed my attraction to him. Of course, I did a deep dive into him. <laughs> do you want? Uh, I can cut out the part where I said it and you can No, say no, it. no, no. It's fine. It's fine. Okay. Don't. I, okay. I don't need you to edit placate me now. <laughs> <laughs> okay, fine. I'm sorry. Um, I was just really no, excited not. about it because I was also attracted to him. So <laughs> mm-hmm. I should remember that uh, that. We we follow our dicks into our research. So. <laughs> Mine is more metaphorical than yours, but yes. <laughs> so, uh, yeah. So this is just a nod to that. They actually do say, uh, when they talk about him later, um, that he actually was a circus strongman performer mm-hmm. who was clearly picking up some side hustle work uh, guarding this boat. Anyway, uh, Jerome Zandau is played by Rob Mars. Did uh-huh. you did you dig up information on Rob Mars? Oh, I I I, uh, I sure did. <laughs> okay. Would you like to take Would you like to take my actor thunder and talk about Rob Mars? Since yeah. I took your your comic book thunder. So Go. Rob Mars is a fucking legendary stunt actor. Like uh-huh. y'all, just like Google go on IMDb and look up Rob Mars. Every fucking project that has any kind of like action in it, he's in. He's mm-hmm. in all the Avengers. He's done Westworld. He's done the Purge. He's done. He was in the fucking Goldbergs uh, uh, for, uh, by the way, uh, Bill Goldberg's uh, uh, stunt double in some scenes. Ooh. Yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. Um, like he's been in a lot of shit. I think uh, the one that shocked, that was interesting to me, was he was in Black, uh, both Black Widow, Loki, and Hawkeye. Right, and WandaVision. And WandaVision. So, like, Mm -hmm. he's just, like, a regular staple in Marvel projects. Like, is there, if there's any actor that's broad-shouldered, large-chested, he's going to be their their stunt devil. I was also taken aback. He was in Buffy, the Vampire Slayer, and Angel. Mm Mm-hmm. That's crazy. Basically, any TV show that has stunts, Rob Mars has been in it. Yeah, his first his first project apparently was Arliss. I forgot about that Did show. You? Holy shit, that show. Okay. Yeah. 
Yeah. God. That, I mean, talk about, holy shit, in yeah. 1996. So mm-hmm. he's been doing this shit for a real long time. And he's just, huh, he's just my type, okay? It's just a big, with a, just a big dude with a face that looks like a fist. Yeah. You know, just yep. like, like all of his facial features are made out of knobby knuckles that are here to pound your face in i just mm-hmm. oh i'm in love with rob mars but so. he's also a fucking chameleon like i've seen pictures mm-hmm. of him where he'll get super in shape for some roles and then let himself like kind of fill out in other roles like look up uh, a Steph, uh do a google search for rob mars twin peaks and tell right me right and, and tell me if that's the same person rob mars twin peaks images um Fuck, he's cute. I <laughs> right, but but like, but he looks so big, different. Big, beefy, rugged man, cute. Yeah, like I'm gonna, I'm gonna. <sighs> yeah, so he. Um, this is what I'm doing for the rest of the podcast. You're on your own. Okay, I'm scrolling. Yeah, but anyway, this guy. <laughs> just to break it down, this guy has done it all in terms of stunt. He's a he's a fucking legend, and just like any good actor. Um, he constantly metamorphs into different, uh, uh, physically metamorphs into different roles to be able to fit whichever actor he's covering to do the stunts for. And that's mm-hmm. incredible. Um, so definitely, awesome. Uh, definitely awesome to have this legend in this show. And obviously we're going to see him a lot more in the future because he's in all the Marvel. Yeah, he's everywhere. Um, so this brawl that he has that uh, Jerome Zandau and Peggy Carter have on this boat it is brutal. It is a brawl. Peggy is not a martial artist. Nope. Uh, She's a she brawler. Will, she <laughs> will just beat the shit out of you. And I would like to now uh, introduce a new counter to the show. Oh. Uh, we probably should have had this counter already, but here we go. I am introducing the Peggy Carter impromptu weaponry counter. <laughs> So far in our watching of this show, uh, we have one ding where she beat Spider Raymond's bodyguard unconscious with a stapler. Right. Uh, and then uh, another ding where she used her own gas stove to burn creepy guy number two. <laughs> and now in this fight, because he's twice her fucking size, and I don't care how good or scrappy you are, size matters in a fight. Mm-hmm. It just fucking does. Size and strength matter. And so she is using various debris, a lead pipe, and the malfunctioning back massager. Yep. All of those things come into play in this fight. Jarvis tries to intervene to help her and gets his ass promptly beat. He gets his ass promptly beat. Yeah, he needed to stay out of the fight. But he distracted the guy long enough for her to get the malfunctioning back massager onto his arm, where his arm contract, contracted onto itself and that snapped shit its bones. looked like it hurt. Like, oh, the, yeah. I, I, I listened to that scene once on my headphones, and oh, the squishing, no. cracking noises were disgusting! Uh-huh. No, your arm shouldn't be crunchy. No. No, no. Um, uh, to add to the Pecky uh, Carter counter that we just created, Mm -hmm. uh, she also used a briefcase in the last episode. Oh, yeah, that's right. (laughs) (laughs) She really will. Just whatever's nearby, she's going to fucking clock you with it. I love her. I love her so much. So she beats him down, but then they hear sirens coming. Because, by the way, Sousa and Krasminski are on their way. Yep. They're cu- they just got called. And so they got to go. And Peggy's like, we can't leave him here. He's a witness. And Jarvis is like, we do not have time. And so they book it out of there. Yeah. Just in time. Because Sousa and Krensminski pull up. And they find they find Jerome Zendal <laughs> contorted in pain and unconscious <laughs> on the floor. And they find a giant pile of Stark Tech bullshit. Yep. 
And Chris Minsky's like, woohoo, Christmas! And Suze is like, this was too fucking easy. Yeah. Somebody wrapped this up for us. Yeah, and Suze is also like, and don't fuck with that shit, I don't want to be turned inside out. Yeah, and that's legit, because Krasminski's just cracking boxes open, yeah. like, dude, you do not know what's it's in there. It's Christmas! Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, we do see a quick shot of the shady man watching the SSR pack everything up out of this boat and load it into a truck, and also arresting Jerome Zandal. And so... Everybody's like, like everybody's there. Thompson's there. Dooley's there. Everybody's there. They're they're supervising. This is the big win. This is the big find. Um, so all of the Stark Tech bullshit is going to be loaded into the truck and taken to the SSR for the lab guys. And they're putting all of the lead and follow cars. All the extra security is on that truck, which means that Krasminski alone will be driving Jerome Zandau back to the SSR for interrogation. Yep. So then Krasminski and Zandau are in the car, mm-hmm. and Krasminski is totally taunting him. He's like, you know, you might want to go ahead and start talking now, because if we put you in an interrogation room with Jack Thompson, he's going to beat the fuck out of you. Yeah, and the guy's <laughs> like, my just... arm is broken, I need to go to a hospital, and Krasminski's like, uh, why would he take you to the hospital? We're just going to break your arm again anyway, you know? Exactly. Uh. And like, ugh. So, but the guy says, is that Dame working for you? Yep. And Krasminski's like, uh and he's like, yeah, the one on the boat, English broad, solid right hook. And like, oh, shit. And that's when. Oh, shit. And that's when Chris, I believe at least Krasinski puts it all together that, oh, shit, Peggy is the one that's been fucking with them the whole time. Exactly. Krasinski's starting, but he's a big dumb ape. And so it's the pieces are slowly starting to like bump together for him. Right about the same time he gets to a stoplight and gets bumped from behind by a car. Uh-huh. So he gets out. Yep. He gets out of the car and we we see... A shadowed figure, which turns out to be creepy guy number three. What we don't see a face. All we no. see is like we the, see a silhouette. The vague, the vague figure of a guy. Because again, film noir. Who is fucking... that? Is it, okay, is that fucking person Angie? Is that is that what we're dealing with right now, Steph? Are Why you... do you think I'm going to tell you this? I, I, I hate mysteries sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I really appreciate that you have not watched ahead and you don't know. I'm I'm trying really hard to get be surprised when I watch these episodes so I can get right. Please I, I do. Feel, Please I feel, preserve the surprise because this show is worth it. I know. I know. That's what okay. everybody tells me. These mysteries will pay off. I promise you. Awesome. Okay. Anyway. So, Krasminski gets fucking gunned down in the street. Yep. Like. Murdered like, dead. Uh, shot five times. Yeah. Yeah. And then the mysterious figure comes around to the side of the car where Zandau is going, I didn't tell him nothing. No, no, I didn't tell him anything. Boom. He's dead too. Shot three times, which is brutal. Yeah. So, okay. Then we, you know, we see the corpses there at the stoplight. Next day, Peggy comes to work and all the girls at the switchboards are crying. Yeah. And she's like, Rose, what the fuck? Everybody's upset. She walks into the office. It's super somber. And there is a pile of flowers on Krasminski's really dirty desk. They didn't clean his desk. Like, there's, like, peanut shells and shit on this desk. But they piled up a bunch of flowers on it. And she, I'm like, obviously, Krasminski's fucking dead. And she finds out that uh, from a very shook Daniel Souza, he is shook about this. Like, no, having somebody die on the job, he's, he feels like, he says that it takes you right back to the war of feeling like, you know, like anybody could buy it at any time. So we're triggering everybody's PTSD today. Yeah, because, hello, the whole, the whole, at, at this point, I'm assuming the whole room is full of former soldiers. 
Yeah, every, almost everybody there is a veteran. Dooley would have probably probably been a little too old to serve, uh, to have been with like the the wave of them over there. Yeah. He hasn't mentioned anything about being a veteran. No, but I, most I mean, of these guys possible, are veterans. It's more likely he was in World War One. Yeah, yeah. So uh, Souza is super suspicious. He's like, you know, we we got an anonymous tip. Like, who could it have been? And Peggy's like, a concerned citizen. And he says, no, a concerned citizen would have called the cops. Right. Not, not us, directly. Not, not my desk, and Peggy's all, oh yeah, that, that, oh, I yeah. forgot about that, yeah. Oh, Maybe shit. I shouldn't have given Jarvis your fucking unlisted number. Yeah. Anyway. So, Dooley, who looks like he's been crying, by the way, mm-hmm. like he, he's, he's haggard. He steps out of his office and he tells everybody that, just a reminder, Krasminski would still be with us today if it wasn't for Howard Stark. Howard Stark didn't pull the trigger. But he's definitely the reason that we lost somebody. So everybody stay vigilant. I'm not losing any more of you. And like, damn it, Dooley. (laughs) Why you got to give me like good dad energy right now? I was set to not like you because you were such a fucking pig earlier today. Right. But anyway, so Dooley says he's going to go call Kresminski's wife. And Thompson says, I'll, uh, I'll call his girlfriend. Oh my god. Because he really does have a girlfriend. Yeah, he really, yeah, yeah. Dude's a player. Uh, was a player. <laughs> was. Uh, hey. But me, personally, I'm not sad he's dead. There, I said no. it. There. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no. I'm not going to miss him. No. Yeah, yeah. But Peggy, who is also a veteran, is also shook. Because you think you think the war is over. You're back in civilized life. Nobody, your life is not in danger. You don't think we could die any minute. Like, you start to relax. And then somebody fucking dies. Mm-hmm. And and all of a sudden, you're like, I have to recalibrate everything. I can't relax ever. Well, like, and, that's... Well, and, and also, from her perspective, this is the second person who's died that's in her, her world as right. a result of this whole situation. Mm-hmm. Like, she's getting people killed left and right. Right. So, then we get Peggy going to the diner. Uh, to talk to Angie. And because she needs a friend. Yeah. She really needs her friend. And the best part, the best part about this scene, did you hear the music that was playing when she walked into the diner? Uh, I forgot to write it down, but I did. It was Someone Who Will Watch Over Me. Aww. Right? So, real quick, because Musical Theater Kid. Um, Someone Who'll Watch Over Me is a song that originally debuted in 1926 in a Gershwin musical called OK. And it was covered, <laughs> I know, like, K is a woman's name. Like, OK. K, you person, you. Like, that's it. It's yeah. fucking, it's the 20s. Um, it's been covered by fucking everybody. Everybody. But by 1946, um, the most notable person to cover it was Frank Sinatra. But this is not Frank Sinatra who is singing this beautiful, plaintive, really wanting somebody who will be there for me, to watch over me, to help me, and to and to listen to my troubles and my woes. Like, that's what this whole song is about. You're just longing for someone to be there for you, um, which is where Peggy's headspace is right now, walking into this diner. But she's not a dude. So we don't have Frank Sinatra's voice singing this because he gave it like the big band treatment, you know? Oh, yeah, and, yeah. And I, also, I also think that came out a little later. No, in 1946, Frank Sinatra covered it. Oh, really? Okay, okay. Yeah. So, but hold on. Um, 
they could have used, it would have been historically accurate to have Frank Sinatra's version in here, but Sinatra is going to Sinatra. And so his voice will suck all the air out of the room. Yeah. You won't be able to focus on the scene because you're like, fuck yeah, that's Sinatra. Like, even if you don't think you like Sinatra, you like Sinatra. The man sold his soul to the devil for those pipes, okay? Uh, For those pipes and those eyes. Because holy Mm. shit. God damn. Anyway, uh, what a fucking pig, though. That's a whole other show. Oh, oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so I, I, I love him. I don't care. And also, also a male <laughs> voice is not what's going to give us our narrative now. And I no. kind of want to go back and look at the other episodes and see if we've heard any men singing yet. I don't think you know, we I, have. I literally was just about to say that because I, we have not actually heard any I male think voices it's yet. All, it's all women's music because this version of someone who'll watch over me is being sung by a lady named Helen Forrest who didn't actually record this song until 1949. Oh. So they, they ventured out of historical accuracy to make sure that they got a female voice singing this sweet little song in the diner about wishing you had someone who would be there for you while Peggy is wishing that she could talk to Angie about her shitty day. Yeah. And she and, and you know, at first, Angie is not having it right now because she's still pissed at Peggy for being such a bitch. Right. But Peggy is visibly shook. Yeah. I, I thought I might tell you about my day. If you have a moment. Yeah, that'd be a nice change. I got plenty of time on my hands. And Angie's a good friend, and she sees that, she reads that, and then especially when Peggy tells her that one of her co-workers died. That's it. All the ice is melted, and yeah. Angie is friend mode. And we love Angie. We do we do love Angie, even though she's probably gonna turn out to be a spy and it's gonna break my heart, but that's fine. <laughs> that's fine. That's fine. <laughs> <laughs> Anyway, so they have a moment uh, where, like, the friendship is back on and Peggy, again, is is continuing to learn the lesson that Jarvis delivered to her last time, which is you need to let people help you. Right. You need to let people in. You need to connect with people. That's the only way you're going to stay strong enough to do what you need to do. And so they had this moment and they're just, it's so sweet. And the music was so perfect. And the uh, Haley Atwell's performance of, like, barely holding it together. And being so fucking British about it, just, oh, it was so good. It was such a, such a sweet note to end the, to end a really hectic episode on. So I loved it. Oh, man. Yeah. Yeah. This episode. And that's the end of the episode. Yeah. Yeah. So So there you go. I loved it. But oh my God. (laughs) But yeah, this, this show doesn't slow down. No, it, it, I mean, it's picking up pace, I feel like, at this point. Yeah. Yeah. It's fucking constant. Like, there's always something happening. There's very little downtime. They don't have any fat to trim off of these episodes. No. Like, there's no scene in this that I would have cut. Everything was relevant. I love this show. It's so good. I love this show so much. It's so good. Okay. Do we have anything else on episode three, Time and Tide? I have nothing else. Uh, again, y'all. And I'm spent. And I'm spent. But again, y'all, <laughs> if y'all haven't watched this Agent Carter before, please do. This oh, has it's been, so good, you guys. This has been the coolest uh, find for me this year. So uh, I'm so it's, I'm so delighted that we get to go through this with you having never seen it. Yeah. Because yeah. that's, I'm, just, I'm getting to like rediscover it uh, through your silly little eyes and it's so fun (laughs) (laughs) so next time we will be talking about agent carter season one episode four the blitzkrieg button 
And I, I did, you know, because of my research, I did see a screenshot of the show. So I know for a fact we're getting some Howard Stark action. So <laughs> we'll, we'll see how that goes. I love him so much. Oh, I love him too much. He's such a pig. Okay. Um, <laughs> so I think that's it. I think that's it for today. All right. That's it. All right. All right. Cool. Cool. Uh, we, we, uh, we, we had, it took two hours to talk about a 45 minute show. Uh, again. Uh, again. <laughs> <laughs> but it's so good and there's so many details and we keep going off on a geek out tangents. And you know what? That's just, we can't even fight that. Nope. That's just who we are as people. I love it. And, and it's fine. It's fine. It's fine. It was going to be super fun to edit. Can't wait. <laughs> okay, are we ready to outro? I'm ready. You ready? You ready? Okay. Hey, everybody. Thank you for listening and joining us on this little journey through Agent Carter. We super appreciate it. If you would like to hang out with us in between episodes, you super can. Uh, you can find us on social media. We are on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, when I'm speaking to it, and TikTok. Uh, as at marvelous underscore divas, except on Facebook where some other bitch has that, and we are at the marvelous divas on Facebook. I'm oh, not bitter. You're so bitter. Uh, mm-hmm. any- <laughs> anyway, y'all, uh, you can also uh, find our podcast on pretty much any platform where podcasts exist. Uh, if you haven't done so already, please subscribe. Please mm-hmm. leave us a review, and if you leave us a five star review on something like Apple Apple Podcast, um, and Write something. We will read your shit on the air and uh, commentate on that and uh, praise yep. you for your excellent Absolutely. work. And I'll feel, also, <laughs> if you hate our show and want to hate on us and want to hurt our feelings, also mm-hmm. leave a five-star review. <laughs> yeah, we'll read that shit on and, the air. And post that shit on the air, too. Yeah. Shameless. That's us. All right. Um, I think that's I think that's it. Yeah, that's it. Bye, y'all. Okay, okay, cool. Bye! I hate this. Let me let me tell you a little horror story. Oh my goodness. So my phone pings and it is a, a a Facebook message from an old friend from way back, the extrovert who adopted me in high school. Okay? Mm-hmm. And she's like, "Hey, I just want to introduce you to fucking what? What are you doing? You're introducing me to somebody?" She has put me <laughs> on a group message with a stranger. No. Saying I think you two would have so much in common. You both like this and this and this. And I just wanted to surprise you with an introduction to each other. Fire them. (laughs) I got that message at like 10 a.m. I didn't even, I did not respond until like 8 o'clock that night. That's how long it took me to get over being furious. 
that I got ambushed with an introduction to a new person. <laughs> so extroverts, <laughs> extroverts listening to this, please keep in mind that yes, you do need to drag your introverts. If you're, if you're going to adopt an introvert, yes, you do need to drag us places. And yes, you do need to invade our hamster ball, but we're going to be mad about it. Yeah. We're yeah. going to be upset. 